welcome Elizabeth Tully from um, from Brisbane actually. Should I call you Liz? Oh, call me Liz. Only my mum calls me Elizabeth, so I feel like I'm in trouble when I get called Elizabeth. So, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Great. And definitely not Tully, because I think one of my emails to you was, <laughs> sorry. I've been called worse. No <laughs> Your last name, that's okay. People call me Rody all the time. Thanks for joining me after work. You don't know what you don't know podcast. Now, Liz, just a bit of background on you. You're a a clinical hypnotherapist and you're a linguistics programmer. You're a coach. You've got, I just looked at your qualifications, Bachelor of Honours in Business and Technology, Diploma in Modern Psychology, Master Clinical Hypnotherapist, Master NLP Practitioner, Life and Success Coach, Thought Field Therapy Certified Practitioner, and there was about five others, but I just thought, okay, that's that, very fancy, didn't I? I know, you're <laughs> fans pants. Now, like, I don't, um, we had such a great conversation a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, wow, we've got to have a podcast. So, yeah, um, we just, just, we got stuck in, had a great conversation, and, and so much of what you shared with me on the phone, I thought, oh, that would be interesting for other people to hear. So, um, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, actually, I've got what founder and owner of Mindspace Therapies. I think we should definitely introduce your business. (laughs) Okay, just first off, straight off the bat, clinical hypnotherapist. What is the difference between clinical and not clinical? Well, so clinical really just means I do it in a therapeutic setting. So, you know, hypnotherapy does get a bit of a a bad rap with all the, you know, the things on YouTube and the stage hypnotist, that kind of thing. So, um, so, yeah, a hypnotist is somebody who tends to, you know, sort of do all the crazy things like, you know, make people clock like a chicken and eat an onion on stage, that kind of thing. A clinical hypnotherapist is somebody who uses hypnotherapy in a clinical setting. So when I say clinical, I've just got a little clinic in, in Brisbane. Um, and it's to to use it for therapy, so use it for good, not evil. Okay. So the guy on the stage, I forget his name, the hypnotist, um, Ed, oh, what's his name? I can't remember. The famous guy. Anyway, he's yeah. that's not clinical hypnotherapy. That's not that stage. That stage hypnot. So he he would be a stage hypnotist. So you you see people on YouTube or you know online where they do street hypnosis. So they'll do you know again sort of hypnotize people in a, in, a, in a second and you know make them forget their numbers and all, all that kind of stuff so that that is a form of hypnosis okay. um, but what I do is hypnotherapy so I use it's the same techniques so I use the same kind of techniques but I use it for therapy and um, so to help people change okay so why would someone because that's a really big part of what you do yeah um, why would someone come to a clinical hypnotherapist yeah so I'll be honest Quite often, a clinical hypnotherapist is the last person somebody comes to see. So I specialize in anxiety. And nine times out of ten, the people who come to see me are people who have been to the GP, been, you know, may, may or may not be on medication, they may have been to see a counselor, may have been to see a psychologist. Um, and they would almost come to a hypnotherapist as a last resort. And I, you know, I take no offense in that because it is. You know, it's, it's not for everybody and it's something that people are can be almost a little afraid of or they can think it's a little bit out there, a bit woo-woo. You know, I have all sorts of people asking me all yeah. sorts of crazy questions about am I going to, you know, do all these things to them. And, and really what it is, it, it's just, it's 
being able to allow your subconscious um, mind to make the change. So, um, you know, consciously we generally know what's what's wrong or what's up. So, you know, I use the example of a smoker. So a smoker consciously knows this cigarette is killing me, it's causing me cancer, it's costing me a fortune, it stinks, blah, 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 blah. So they know all the conscious reasons why, um, you know, they want to give up smoking, but yet something within them just makes them reach the cigarette and reach the, reach the lighter and, and they just continue with these um, unconscious patterns. So the reason that hypnotherapy is so successful is that it allows under hypnosis, it allows your conscious brain to almost just take a bit of a break, take a bit of a holiday and allows the subconscious to make the change. So, um, yeah. So it's a deep meditative state you're in yeah, it's, it's to really, reprogram. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's really about like hypnotherapy and, and neuro-linguistic programming is really about um, reprogramming unhelpful behaviours, unhelpful thought patterns, whatever it is that's going on. Because as I say, consciously, we, we generally know what's good or bad for us and we consciously know what we should and shouldn't be doing, for want of a better word. But um, most of our lives are run on, on subconscious patterns. Mm. When are those subconscious patterns created? That's a, a great question. So often in very very early very very early childhood so and some of some of the subconscious patterns are very useful and helpful and um, but more often than not they are created in in very uh, very early childhood so a lot of the time it's things that we've we've seen we've experienced and a lot of the time it comes down to and, and this is the work that i do the most about people is about beliefs Mm-hmm. So we, we form beliefs about ourselves and about the world and about, you know, your, what I call like your model of the world. We form those beliefs about ourselves. We form them at any age, but we, we t- typically form beliefs about ourselves in very sort of, you know, when you, often before you've got the language. So quite oh, wow. you'd form, yeah, yeah, you'd form a belief about yourself in, you know, in uh, you know, preschool. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, th- th- I mean, y- you can believe, your beliefs can change as well and I think that that's another thing that often people don't think beliefs can change um and I use the analogy of Santa Claus and I hope there's no children listening but you know the the idea that once when you were a kid you absolutely believed in Santa and loved you know all the benefits of, of believing in Santa and then there was a time when you weren't quite sure and then, you know, there's a time as the adult you are today that you know that Santa isn't real, but you still believe in, you know, you still have the, the magic of Christmas and the, um, all the, the lovely things that are associated with Christmas, but that belief that Santa exists has changed sort of organically over time. Um, and that can, absolutely ha- that can absolutely happen with people's beliefs about themselves. How, how do you differentiate whether it's um, a good belief or that's probably not the right word, but um, a, a belief that's not helpful for you. And that's literally a, a question I ask, I ask people because if, um, you know, it, it, I, the question I ask is, is it serving you well? Okay. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm vegetarian. I, I wasn't always vegetarian. So I believe that, you know, eating meat's not good for your health. Um, the butcher up the road, he would have a very different belief to me. So he would believe that, you know, it, so, so a belief is just something that we hold to be true. It's not the truth. It's just mm. something that we hold to be true. 
um, and sometimes that belief can be limiting. So that's that's the work that I do with a lot of people is this um, sort of limiting belief about themselves uh, or about how the world works. So with um, hypnotherapy, what what do you see as the success rate? Like to yeah, it, it's in, it's a very interesting question. It's a question I get asked a lot, and I and I I sort of feel like a bit of a politician when I answer this because I don't always get a straight answer. Um, look, the, it, it's a very under um, studied, as in so a lot a lot of therapies have what's called, you know clinical trials, and they have these sort of success rates where hypnotherapy doesn't for, for many reasons, but it doesn't. Um, typically, I would say that um, I have a very high success rate with people who want to change. And, and I'll give you an example of that. So I see a lot of people who come into my clinic and they want help with something like weight loss, for example. Um, and you wouldn't believe the number of thin people who come into my – I rarely see an overweight person who comes in for weight, for weight loss. So a wow. person who come in – yeah, 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 yeah. So the come in and, and say they want to lose weight and um, I'll ask them what's going on and, and I'm not really interested in, in why they eat too much or why they do the thing that they do. It's really about how they do it. And nine times out of ten, it is never about the weight loss. It's never about what they're eating. It's Because, you know, we all, we all really know what we should and shouldn't be eating. Nine times out of ten, it's about a belief about themselves. It's an I'm not good enough or it's a I can't do it or um, I you know, so it, it generally it's an identity thing or it's a thing that they believe about themselves. Now, if they're willing to, to go there and if they're willing to sort of say, OK, yeah, it is. It's a belief about myself. Then typically it, the, the change happens and it happens very quickly. Um, but if people are not willing, to, if people just say, nope, just make me thin, they think of it as just a magic pill and I'm just going to do some woo-woo magic with them, you know, then, then I don't have the same success rate. So it really depends on, I guess, the client's willingness to change. Mm. How challenging do you think it is to let go of a belief? Oh, hugely, hugely <laughs> challenging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because people are married to them. People are absolutely married to their beliefs. And, you know, I had a huge belief in, um, you know, I, I shared with you last time, I was, a, I was a massive drinker. I drank and drank and drank. I was a huge drinker. And I never believed in a million years I could give up. I, I couldn't believe, I wouldn't even believe that I could cut down drinking, let alone stop drinking. And I was, I was married to that belief. So, so what was the belief beyond, behind the drinking? Oh, because it, it was, you know, when I talk about it, like your model of the world, my model of the world was that I believed that I needed to drink to go out and socialise, I needed to drink at a birthday party, I needed to drink at a wedding, I needed to drink when I was sad or when I was happy or to celebrate something. Um, I just had this this total belief that alcohol was a very normal and natural part of the world and my life, and I believed that I could never socialise without it. I couldn't go out for dinner without it because you know. So I had all these beliefs about yeah about alcohol and about uh, wine in particular, um, and and part of me didn't want to change. I was like, and, and the part of me that didn't want to change was was the part of me that I didn't believe I could. Mm. So, and how did you realise that it wasn't serving you? Because you had the belief and you're happy. 
great going to weddings pissing it up whatever yeah no no, no. i knew for years years and years and years i knew it wasn't serving me well so i knew you know when i would get drunk at an event and abuse somebody or when i would miss work because i was too hungover to go in so i knew, i fully knew that it was an issue but I, a, I didn't really want to admit it to myself because again I sort of surrounded myself with all these people who were drinking and fun and, you know, everybody else did it. So I don't have a problem and it's just part of society. It's part of culture. And yeah, next time I'll have one less drink and I won't do this and I won't. So you, you just, then I just formed these new beliefs about, um, oh, you know, yeah, I'll be able to, next time I go out, I'll only have, you know, I, I won't open the second bottle or what, whatever it was, mm. it's all the bullshit that you tell yourself. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was huge. I had huge belief that I couldn't change. Um, but I, I mean, part of me desperately wanted to, because it was just these patterns, these really unhealthy patterns that I was running in my life. But I just didn't believe that I could. Do you um, think that your beliefs attract your environment, or your environment yeah. dictates yeah, yeah, your belief? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we we have this thing called. Um, an RAS system, so uh, the reticular activation system, I think it's called. Where is that the red car? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So if you were thinking about buying a, you know, a new car, a red car, or whatever, all you would do is see those cars. Or, you know, if you were thinking about, um, I don't know, a particular book or something like that, when you go into the bookstore, that's the best book you see. So, absolutely. So, sort of what's um what's your yeah we you look through the world within your, the lens of again what I call like the model of the world that you're in so for me I look through the lens of well all my friends drink and all the people around me drink and um, my husband drinks and that is all all these people do so my model of the world was was very surrounded by people who who drank and you know had a great time doing it but the difference was that I could never say no. So a lot of my friends, yes, they were drinkers and they were heavy drinkers, but um, you know, at some level they could say no, or they could then you went to stop, and I just did not have a, I did not have an off, off button. So, and what then was the trigger for you to decide that? Okay, I need to kind of change this belief or work on this. Yeah, and this was was this before you became a hypnotherapist or did coaching and yeah, yeah, okay, so pre yeah. this kind of so chapter in your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I um, you know, grew up in the UK and it was a very very, you know, as it is in Australia, I guess, a quite a, a drinking culture and um, I always had a good job, so I was. Uh, I'm from a very working class background. So everybody worked, and I always, I always, always worked, but I always, always partied hard as well. So I was a you know total '90s party girl, and I'd you know do all, all the things that that we did. Uh, I, th- I think back and think, thank goodness uh, Facebook wasn't around then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I guess, and um, so I sort of went through life. Um, drinking a lot and way more when I say drinking a lot you know I, I'm talking uh, seven eight bottles of wine a week was was standard absolutely standard for me um and there were many 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 points throughout the, the I guess 20 years I was drinking so I probably started heavily drinking when I was probably 17 18 like a lot of people um 
and I would, yeah, I, I mean, I would get into arguments with people. I'd say inappropriate stuff. I would just all the shit that you do when you're drunk. Um, but none of those, there was no, I guess, defining moment where it all got too much because, if anything, it, it escalated. It got worse and worse and worse. And I would be so filled with guilt the next day. I would feel so shameful. But it was like this loop that, yeah, I did but I didn't think it could change. So the, the trigger, for want of a better word, for me was um, in 2012, a very good friend of mine who was an equally as big a boozer as I was, um, she contacted me and said that she'd read a book and it had changed her life and she'd stopped drinking. And the first thing, again, excuse my friend, the first thing I said to her was bullshit. Like, how, <laughs> how, can, how can you read a book? Like, what are you talking about? Oh, this is, you know, crazy. Da, 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 da. What did the book say? And blah, 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 all the rest of it. So um, she sent me, she lives in, in the country, so she sent me a copy of the book and she said, just read it. And I had so many questions. I was like, yeah, but oh, what's, what's going to happen? Anyway, so I had the book for probably about two or three months and it just sat on my bedside table. It was almost like staring at me and I was staring at it and I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to change. And and then I'd gone back to the UK, see my family at Christmas time. It was, this is December, 2012. And I drank loads and I'd, you know, arguing with my family and all the crap that comes with it. And then I'd, uh, we were going to Bali for New Year's Eve on the way home. And it was it was like the stars aligned. I'd, I was sort of sat there by the you know by the pool, reading this book, which I'd decided to pick up. And the irony is, as I was reading the book, I was drinking a bottle of Bintang. <laughs> so I was reading this book about, and it's literally it's, I've got it. What's it called? The title. It's called "Kick the Drink uh. Easily" by a guy called Jason Vale. So it's an amazing book. What a great title because it doesn't yeah. feel like you're being pushed or you have to no, make a big step. And that's when I saw it easily. The first thing I thought was, well, it's not going to be easy. Of course, it's not going to be easy if I'm going to kick the drink. So here I am in Bali drinking sweet <laughs> from it. You know, there's like tall boys with a bottle of beer reading this book. And then literally from page one, it was just like, it was like these light bulbs going off in my head. The, the way he talks about alcohol is, you know, I, I was always afraid of being an alcoholic because I genuinely thought I was. I, I, and it was like this, part of me was like, I'm an alcoholic because I'm totally addicted to alcohol. But then another part of me was, um, oh, but I'm a, you know, I'm a HR manager and I have this fancy job and I live in Ascot and I, you know, and I'm very middle class, you know, all that yeah. kind of crap. That like, people like me are not alcoholics. People, you know, those people in the streets, there, you know, so it was all this like judgment and it was, it was awful. So the, the biggest myth that he talks about in the very early page of the book is that he doesn't believe in the term alcoholic. Um, so he talks about the fact that, yes, you're addicted to alcohol, but this, this concept of, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, where you go and you go week after week to meetings and 10 years later, Thank you. 10 years later, you still classed as a recovering alcoholic, but you haven't had a drink for 10 years. And he just says that's a crazy notion that, um, you know, if people give up smoking, they're no longer recovering smokeaholic or that we use. And, and, and it's also like, I gave up smoking in oh, about 
15 years ago, I'd given up smoking. And when I said to people, I'd given up smoking, the first thing people said to me was, oh, well done, good on you. That's a great, you know, it's really good for your health, etc." But when you say to people, I've given up drinking, they're like, they, yeah, they lose the shit. Like, what, what's wrong with you later? What, like, has something happened? Are you trying to get pregnant? So people just can't cope with the fact that... Yeah, why do you think that is the case? Well, it's, it's because it's so indoctrinated and that goes back to this belief system. It's so part of our mm. culture. It's so part of, um, you know, if you, you celebrate with it, you commiserate with it, it's part of sport, it's part of... Um, I mean, I don't have kids, but I hear that you can go to a school fit and there's a you know this old this old vlog there so it's just it's just part of the yeah but why do people have a resistance to when they hear that you have given up drinking like well like being honest yeah some people i think some people it literally shines a light it shines a mirror at themselves Uh, okay for some people it does so some people are really curious about it with me other people avoid me, other people, and that, I think that, that's been the biggest, um, not challenge for me, but so basically what the book did for me was just change my mindset from, I don't feel like I've given anything up. So I, I say to people, I've given up drinking, but I don't ever feel like I've given something up. I feel mm. like I've gained. So that was the number one lesson I got from it was about, don't think of it that you're giving that you're giving up the drink. Think of it that all this stuff that you're going to gain instead of of, of the drink. So, um, yeah. So, I so is that um an NLP? Yeah, um, it is because I've heard it in weight weight loss. You know, you're not losing weight; you're gaining life yeah. or whatever you want to, however you percept it. You know, yeah. it is. It, it's it's it is exactly. It's I had no idea what what NLP was. And I was just quite amazed that I, all I did was read a book. And, I, and sometimes I feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm like, this is all I did was read a book. But it, the, the change in me was, I, I just cannot underestimate the change. So I, as I say, I went from being a seven, eight bottles a week wine kind of girl, like could not go out to the local Thai restaurant without having a glass of wine, not even just a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, um, to not only stopping drinking but literally i can hand on heart say i've never once missed drinking and that to me is the biggest change so So were you in um bali did you finish the book in bali yeah 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 so i took the book with me i started reading it on i said i say like the 29th of december yeah we'd 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 gone to our we did book this fancy um resort that we were staying in we had a private pool and a villa and all the rest of it so, so i was literally swigging my bin tang reading the book um found this great bar so we'd we'd, we'd, we'd drink in all the rest of it new year's eve we booked this big at the resort we staying there this big like fancy gala dinner with a drinks package and all the rest of it so we booked that for new year's eve and then literally on the day of new year's so 31st december I finished reading the book and I was like, I'm done. That's it. I'm not drinking again. I'm just made, oh, wow. made the decision. And then my husband's going, yeah, we've just paid 200 bucks to go to the <sighs> whatever. And then I'm like, but it's fine. I'll just go and I won't drink. So the, the funniest thing is because I, I, like we both, we went and like we literally got to the, the door and had this tray of champagne and normally I'd be like bloody taking two of them. And, <laughs> um, and they were like, champagne and I just and I literally just said no I'm fine 
And so, so my husband took to, and the, the funny thing is he got, I mean, he, he's a, he does drink, but he, he can stop. But this particular night, because he, he was like, we paid 200 bucks, I'm drinking yours. So he got absolutely blind drunk because he was drinking my portion. And I just, I never drank. So never what drank. was it like to go through that first night, like out it of was, function with no alcohol? Weird. It was weird. So I, I liken it to, do you know, like when you, when you drive somebody else's car and like the wind, the, the, uh, the windscreen wipes and the, the, what you call it, the indicators on the different side, it was a bit like that. So it was a bit weird. Um, but if anything, that, I think it was the pet, it was all, as I say, it was like the stars aligned because that night, um, you know, with the other people there and the first, the first part was quite fun and everyone was, you know, drinking and talking all the rest of it. And then as the night rolled on, people kept repeating the same stories and they were swearing the words. And I was like, oh my God, I was one of the, like literally last night, I was one of these people. And then as it went on and on, people were just, just getting so drunk as I would have been literally the night before. So it was, I almost saw things just totally from a different lens. Parallel worlds. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And if anything, I was, I was a bit judgy. I was a bit like, oh God, this is, this is going to be, it was going to be awesome because like in, in my mind now I was like, these people are literally just pouring poison in the body because that's how I now sort of think of it is, um, you know, these people are just pouring, as I did for 20 years, pouring this poison in the body and they're just going to feel like, so what what ha- like um what about your relationship with your husband and your environment and your friends you know because yeah, it was yeah. um very you know alcohol played a massive role and then oh, you've just huge, pulled the plug huge, huge, well, where does so not yeah not not so much with my husband because again he had a really different you know he's he he, he doesn't drink sorry he still drinks but he didn't have a, I would say I was a problem drinker because I never knew when to stop. He could take our leave booze. He could just have one or two beers. So in a way he didn't really get it because he was just like, oh, why can't you just have one? And it, like he knew that I couldn't. So he was incredibly supportive. If anything, he loves it because now I'm the, you know, I drive everywhere. So previously we had these arguments about who was going to drive or, I mean, I never ever would. So we'd spend all this money and this is before Uber, all these taxes and stuff. So with Chris, my husband, it wasn't so much of a big deal, but the biggest deal was with my friends. That was, it was, it, that, that was the thing that I never anticipated. So as I said, New Year's Eve, Bali, got back to work on like the you know, first week in January and the company I worked for, we had um, these huge uh, sales conferences, which happened in the January. So I got to work and I told my, my best friend at work, I was like, stop drinking and the same thing she's like wow what happened did you get totally drunk what you know what uh, what are you trying to get pregnant and you know all this stuff and then the funniest thing she said to me was she goes are you still going to go to the sales conference and and it was like and it was such a funny question because pre this big mindset shift I would have asked exactly that question because the sales conference was so synonymous with the lens of a drink of, of drinking and it was dinners and this big gala dinner and all the rest of it. So, you know, the question was quite funny, but it was a bit like, well, yeah, of course I'm still going to go to the sales conference. And yeah. but I could understand why she asked it because again, when you're looking through that lens of it's a big boozer. And, and the funny thing was that I just had the best night because 
previously I would have written myself up because it was free booze from bloody six o'clock. I'd have been literally written off by nine o'clock. I'd be on the first bus home and in bed with a sore head and I'd feel like I'd feel disgusting the next day and I'd worry about, you know, because, you know, my job is a HR manager and it's, you know, that whole, you know, being a pissed HR manager is not a good look, but that was me, you know, so during those nights it was it was a night like I look back on it now and I think it was an absolute nightmare because I was getting totally stuck into the grog but I was pretending not to be and, and I, it was almost like I played this game with myself that I like you know I absolutely wanted to drink but I had to pretend to be this really responsible sober peace person and then literally nine times out of ten, the day after an event like that, we've had some drama drama with some staff member who's done something. And in the back of my mind, I'm just like, oh, my God, have I done that as well? Or, you know, have I done something inappropriate? So it was just this cycle of, um, of this shame and guilt and regret. But again, back then, I was like, but I don't know any different. I, don't, I literally don't know how I can change. So... Anyway, the, the sort of first sales conference that I had when I didn't drink, it was just like this revelation. I was like, oh, I can stay out till midnight because I'm not completely written off and I can drink and I can socialize. Sorry, I can you know just drink soda water and socialize with people. And, and then I, 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 I actually, what I did was put the soda or the lemonade or whatever I was drinking in a wine glass just because the questions that you get from people about why you're not drinking mm. it's quite exhausting so what, what's what's some of the things that have transformed in your life since then because that sounds like a massive moment it is, it is. And, and things that i didn't think would transform have so off the top of my head weight loss so i lost 15 kilos in three months so the, the and that just shows how much booze i was drinking so weight loss was a massive thing the mental clarity that I had was, I mean, if you can imagine like not that just removing that seven, eight bottles of wine from your life, it, it's just mm. mental clarity, money. Um, when we did our tax return the following August, our accountant said to us, so Chris and I had gone to the accountant, did the tax return. And the guy, it was like, guys, what, what's happened? You've managed to pay, you know, X amount off your mortgage. And my husband you robbed a bank. said, it was, oh, yeah, let's, let's stop drinking. But it, and it was, it was, yes, obviously, our bill at Dan Murphy's was massive. Um, and that, you know, that sort of reduced by 90%. Um, but it was just things like, you know, on a weekend, I could be bothered to, um, just do stuff. So rather than having to like go out for breakfast because I was too hungover to cook anything, and then that would roll into lunch with more drink. And then, so I never had any food in my house before because I couldn't yeah. be bothered to go to the supermarket or cook or do all those things. So those kind of things change and, and not having to pay for taxes and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff had a massive financial impact on us. But then, I think more broadly than that, it was more um, about work and about what I wanted to do in my life. And, you know, I've had this huge change in my life. And, and I, I really wanted to almost like share that with people. But at the same time, I didn't want to be all evangelistic and all bloody, you know, uh, pious about it because it is, it's, you know, it can be a, a quite a sensitive subject for people. So, um, that really then led me to get really interesting. Well, what was it about the book that changed my life? And that's when I sort of learned about neuro-linguistic programming. 
and that's when I went on to do my yeah, diploma in modern psychology. And, and that was really about the, the, the diploma had three parts to it. It's hypnotherapy, NLP and um, life coaching. And the irony was that it was it, the hypnotherapy for me was not even I didn't even know what it was. Didn't even know what it was. But this particular course, this particular diploma on the site had all three. And I think I might have even rang them and said, "Can I just set out the hypnotherapy? Can I just do the NLP and, and coaching?" But it, you know, it came as a package. So I was like, "Whatever, I'll almost you know just file my nails. I'll you know do whatever in the hypnotherapy bit." But um during the course it was just that the hypnotherapy was for me the most life-changing um and yeah I mean personally I saw so much change in myself because from day one we were literally hypnotizing each other and I, I went in there with a fear of sharks I've, I've not actually swam in the ocean for about 20 years I moved to Australia right and never swam in the ocean because I was so terrified of sharks and after a 10-minute hypnotherapy session I was swimming in the ocean again. So oh, wow. that to me was, was um, you know, just sort of further impressed on me that it's really your mindset and, and the way that you, the beliefs that you've got about yourself, the beliefs about the world, the belief, you know, because I believe that if I went into the ocean, a shark would kill me. Um, now I know that is a possibility, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. kill me. Um, so yeah, so then that just led me to do the study and, and the hypnotherapy for me was the most, interesting part about just the changes I saw in, in all like there were 15 of us in, in in class and every single one of us from the you know from one girl she was drinking about three cans of coke a day and from day one she never drank a can of coke again so just you know some, some things are small things how, how long was the course for it was so it was in two stages so the first stage was um two weeks to two weeks residential and it was full on so it was from literally nine o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night six days a week so it was full on immersion um so i did that for two weeks um and then i came back and did my, my what's called the mastery so that was another week of, of you know intensive and um, in the meantime you had like case studies and written work and, and that kind of thing to do but Mm. the way that we learned was was much better actually being yeah in class with each other experience yeah i mean and, and the thing about hypnotherapy is that unfortunately you can just go on a weekend course and call yourself a hypnotherapist it is quite an unregulated industry mm-hmm. um but again by sort of being in that environment and really experiencing that change myself um you know just had a huge yeah had a huge benefit to me how would you describe yourself like before and after the course it was like chalk and cheese so before the course so whilst obviously I'd given up drinking I'd given up drinking but I was quite an anxious person so I was I had really um so I had a lot of social anxiety and, and I think that kind of went hand in hand a bit with drinking that I, I then you know came to realize that part of the reason that I drank in the first place was because of social anxiety. I, I didn't know it then, mm. um, but I, I kind of you know, came to learn that. So, so I went into the course with, with quite a lot of social anxiety. I went into the course with um, a lot of anxiety. The course was in Noosa, so I live in Brisbane. It was in Noosa, which is only about an hour and a half drive away. And that was a real consideration of mine because I had anxiety about driving as to whether or not to actually do it or not, because I had to drive up there. I mean, I, I stayed up there, so I didn't want to drive in there and back. But 
Um, so I would always be really anxious about driving somewhere new and get where would I park and all the rest of it. Uh, and again, this sort of fear of sharks, relationships with other family members as well. I did, you know, quite a difficult relationship with a particular family member. Um, and literally after those two weeks, like, God, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I had massive, massive shifts and changes in, in, in every single one of those aspects. Oh, that's great. So, and then did you decide to start your business? Yeah. So then it, then it was at this place where I was, uh, you know, my, my background is, is human resources management. So I was working in this, you know, corporate job, which I've been in for, you know, getting on for 10 years. Um, so, you know, and in a great salary with a great company, which I love, you know, absolutely love doing. But then I did this course and I was like, Hang on, how, what am I going to do? Because I love my job. I love my company. but I've got all these skills and I want to be able to help people and, you know, what do I do? So I struggled with that for a little while. So I sort of said, oh, well, maybe I'll do it on a weekend or maybe I'll just do it with friends and family. But I'd always, always wanted to run my own business and I'd never found something I was passionate enough about. So whilst I was good at recruitment and HR, I was never passionate about about enough to set up my own you know recruitment agency or, or HR consultancy mm. um, and I think now that, that then I was like now I've got these great skills and I back myself I know I can do it what do I do so long story short I um, asked my boss if I could do a job share so my, my funnily enough the girl who said to me oh are you gonna go to conference uh, she was my best friend at work she um she worked in our learning and development department and basically we concocted um, a job share solution so she wanted to work part-time I wanted to work part-time so we came to, so rather than asking for permission I really came up with a solution to say this is how it could work she said yes and I don't know whether I was more terrified that she was going to say yes or no. So she said yes. And then that's when, yeah, that's when Mindspace Therapies was, was born. So I, um, you know, took a big leap and set up well business. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. There he is. Um, and then, yeah, found somewhere to, to practice from. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, then, you know, it, it just sort of really grown. So I still do, you know, I still work three days a week as a, as a HR manager and I do two days a week in my, in my clinic. So oh, that's uh, great. great. Yeah, it's a great balance. It really is. Um, but what do most of your clients come to you for? Mm. What, so, you know, patterns do you see? Yeah, so, so most clients, whether they know it or not, have some kind of anxiety. So, so some clients will straight out say to me, I've got anxiety and, again, I've been to a doctor, I've been to my G, I've been to the psychologist, I've been to, I've been on medication, I just need to try something else. So anxiety is probably the most common thing I see. Um, I see a lot of people for um, yeah, for, for weight loss. Um, but as I say, nine times out of ten, it's not about the weight loss. It's, it's not about what do I need to put in my mouth? It's about what do I need to believe about myself in order to change. Mm. And do you think anxiety is related to the belief system yeah. as well? Yeah. 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 I do. I do. Yeah. So with, with, with anxiety, uh, a lot of people's belief is I'm not good enough. That's, that's a belief that a lot of people unfortunately do have about themselves. They, they may not consciously know that, but it's a, a deep rooted belief is, is yeah, I'm, I'm not good enough. So, you know, I see, um, 
yeah and, and hypnotherapy sort of think about anxiety a bit differently to um psychologists so for me anxiety is something that you do it's not something that you are so people can get quite hung up in anxiety being and, and rightly so because it's been part of their identity, identity yeah. so long um, and, and this is where my NLP comes into play because um, you know I couldn't do hypnotherapy without NLP because I'm really listening to people's language patterns and the way they say things. So, for example, when people come in and they say, yeah, I, I am, I'm, it's just me, I'm just who I am, I'm, I'm an anxious person, I know that it's an identity belief. Mm. Um, so one of the first things I encourage them to do is just think about anxiety as something that they do rather than something that they have. And they've learnt, they've learnt how to do anxiety, and often we've learnt how to do anxiety very early on in life. Um, you, nobody's born anxious. We're only, we're only ever born with two fears. We're born with a fear of, um, fear of falling and fear, fear of loud noises. They're, they're the only two fears that we're born with, and everything else is learned. So, you know, a baby's not, <clears throat> not born with social anxiety. A baby's not born with, you know, as I had fear of sharks or fear of driving. All that is learnt. You know, 20 years ago, no one used the word anxiety. I don't remember anyone saying I've got anxiety or I'm anxious. No, it's changed. I think it's more awareness. I think it's, it's definitely more awareness and people are, people are talking about it, it, it more and more. Yeah. So, and again, it is anxiety. So, you know, I think a lot of people are, um, you know, we, we love to label things because once we've labelled it, it's a nice little box and we can do something mm. about it. So, again, I try to so encourage people not to think about, um, yeah, it's something that they have, it's something that they do. So one of the first questions I ask uh, somebody with anxiety or somebody with, you know, anxiety, anxious thoughts or whatever it is, is how do they do their anxiety? Because people do anxiety very differently. So for some people, it's, um, it's a repetitive thought. Um, for other people, they do anxiety via... Um, a very sort of physical, you know, the heart starts racing or they blush or they start to sweat or they do it like that. Um, other people, it's like a real feeling that will rise in them or, you know, people, clients will say it's like, a, it feels like I've got like an elephant on my chest or weight on my shoulders. So I'm really curious and interested in how people do their anxiety, not why. I, I'm not interested with all respect to my clients and I sit, I'm very upfront with them. I'm not getting into your story. I'm like a bit of background helpful. Mm. But um, again, we get, as I was, married to my story about drinking and, and whatever it was. Um, it, it's, it's not about why you do it. It's, it's really about how you do it. And then more importantly, it's about what you want instead. Because again, some people want... So I, I see a lot of... It sounds like a contradiction, but I see a lot of confident, anxious people... So, you know, a perception can be that if you're anxious, you're not confident, or if, if people are anxious, all they want is confidence. That that's not it for many people. For many I think people. confidence is misunderstood. Everyone's yeah. got a different yeah. interpretation, and it's actually probably not a great word to describe a lot of things. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's so. Some people will that, that's that's yeah. Some people will sort of say, oh yeah, but I, I don't want to be. Um, you know, one of these people who's like really cocky or arrogant or can stand up on stage and do the whole rah-rah, that's not what confidence mm-hmm. is. For some people it is, but for, for many people it isn't. 
and and I see a lot of my clients say all they want is freedom they want relief they want a lot of anxious people say all they want is calm so rather than these like massive highs and lows they just want this sense of calm so I treat everybody very individually with that so I think I shared in our last conversation about you know some hypnotherapists work from like a book of scripts so they literally have a script written for different scenarios of so fear of flying, anxiety, stop smoking, whatever it may be. And client will come in and the client will say, I want to lose weight. And I'll say, okay, I'll just hypnotize you. I'll get my book of scripts out and I'll just read from the script. Now, that just has its place because, again, your subconscious is, is listening to the messages and whatever it may be. But for me, there's a flaw in that that, the person wants to lose weight, nine times out of ten, it's not about the weight. It's about the belief about themselves. So, yes, you're, you're giving your subconscious all these cues and messages about, no, you know, imagine yourself on a desert island with a bikini or whatever it is, whatever the yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And it's so generic. And, yes, it, you know, it might land with some people, but typically what I find I get better success when I'm using, again, using my NLP, so I'm using the client's, language patterns literally how they refer to things how they talk about things how they talk to themselves um that's what i'm using with them um whilst they're under hypnosis what's some of the like what what would be an example of a client you wouldn't work with so i don't work with drug addicts and it is really around the just it changes the chemi- chemistry in the brain and also i am um, so when I say hypnotherapists are not regulated, there is a, a body. So I'm a member of the Australian Hypnotherapy Association. Yeah. And with that, we have to have um, you know, a certain level of study and continuing education and also insurance as well. So under the guidelines, we, we can't work with people who are um, have certain sort of um, brain disorders or brain conditions. So things like epilepsy can be quite difficult to work with. Uh, again, you're not treating the epilepsy, but you know, if you're hypnotizing somebody with, with epilepsy or certain sort of brain conditions, I choose not to work with, with drug, drug addicts. I mean, I know there are um, there are certainly you know hypnotherapists out there who do. Um, I yeah, so, so I don't work with with drug addicts. T- ten, I often get the question about, oh, can everyone be hypnotized? And and the answer is yes, they can. Um, and some people say, but what if you get a client and they just sat there and they don't want to be hypnotized? Then my my response to that really is, well, they they don't want to change. So if if people are are willing to pick up the phone and call me or make an appointment with me, and, you know, I've I've charged for my service, obviously, so if they're willing to do that, then there is a part of them that that does want to change. Um, there's, There's also part of them potentially that doesn't want to change, and that's the part of them that's saying, can I be hypnotized and what about this and what about that so in, in hypnotherapy we work a lot with the different parts of you so and again, so would you use hypnotherapy in all your sessions no not not in all of my sessions. look it depends on what people have come to me for so as I said I, I do hypnotherapy NLP and coaching um, I, I find the quickest and most effective therapy is hypnotherapy but if I've got a coaching client um, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't hypnotize. I, 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 I talk very, very, I talk very, very openly about hypnotherapy to people, but there are some people who just don't want to do it. 
and that's absolutely fine. And then I would use a, a similar technique or an NLP technique where we're just having a conscious conversation like we are now, but I would do it in a what's called an up-trance. So up-trance is conscious conversation or I'd get somebody just to sort of close their eyes, take a few depths, two few deep breaths and just get them in a, like, um, uh, yeah, a, a more sort of, um, yeah, just a relaxed state. A relaxed yeah. State. Yeah. 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 So, so to answer your question, no, I don't hypnotize everybody, but uh, yeah, I find that the biggest change comes from, from hypnotherapy. And you know, with COVID in the last, what, since March, have you found, um, the conversations or the issues or why people come to you change in any way? I haven't, to be honest. So I think it, it's, I'll, I'll rephrase that. So I'm seeing the things that were already there in people heighten. So for example, um, so the people who had a difficult relationship with food, that's still there. And if anything, it's getting worse. The people who had a, a difficult relationship with alcohol, that's still there and if anything it's getting worse so it's it's not like it, i'm not seeing any of my clients very very few clients in fact like I, I think i've got a client who isn't worried on some level about covid but i'm not getting people i'm not getting new clients with new issues because of covid yeah so almost like it, again it's sort of like shining that light on because people have got more time on their hands people have got i don't know a bit more time for introspection it's almost sort of shining a light on the things that are not serving them well. Mm. One of the things that your one of your qualifications was thought field therapy. What is that? Yeah, yeah. So this is when I I talk about woo woo. So you know, woo woo is a term about you're talking to the right person. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thought field therapy is probably one of the most woo woo things that I do. Um, so basically, what it is, it's, it's tapping therapy. So oh, okay. The one called um, EFT. EFT. Yeah. yeah. So e- EFT and thought field therapy are, are quite similar. Um, but thought field therapy works a lot on the thought. So you're thinking about the thing that you don't want to do whilst you're doing the tapping. So it, it, it's really cool. There's um, it, actually on my um, Facebook page, I've got some tapping, you know, Free videos that people can sort of go to and have a look at but it basically it, it works on like the different meridian points so it's similar in a way to like acupuncture where they, they work with sort of different pressure points yeah. um the, the the beautiful thing about it is you can just do it yourself i mean i i teach people how to do it and you can just go away and do it yourself I've done it before when I've you know been at work and I have to do a big presentation. I've just snuck off into the toilet and done a bit of tapping. Um, so what do you? What's the tapping do? Like yeah, okay, so, presentation scenario. Use that as an example. That's a good one. Yeah. So jet lag. It can help with, with um, yeah uh, yeah any kind of unhelpful thought pattern. There's a different so. For example, anxiety is um, you do like tapping above your eyes, under your eyes, and on your collarbone, so in a okay. certain sort of way. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, like this, and then there's a there's another sort of sequence that we do, but um, it's yeah, so it just works in the different sort of yeah, it's called meridian points in your in your body, so. That it could be used for a whole whole heap of different things. So if you're in, have got a presentation, you run to the bathroom and you just do a tap. Are you saying anything at the same time, or are you just tapping? 
Uh, I'm just tapping because I know, yeah, I, I'm yeah. just tapping. But the, there's there's a whole sort of process that I go through when you know when clients want to want to come, and there's a like it, it depends on what their thing is. So that I might get them to repeat like a mantra, and again, when I say mantra, it's like you know, I am worthy, or you know, I am confident, or whatever it may, whatever the thing is for them, and um, whilst they're doing the tapping, yeah. Mm. So yeah. what does it do? How does that work? Does it relax your or yeah, so it takes attention away. It, it's really, it's very, very well, well researched. I'm, I'm amazed that it's not like when you look at the research and so the, the, the people who, um, there's a couple of psychologists in the US who developed it called the Callahans and they've actually, they've done some amazing things. So they went to like Rwanda and Kosovo. So any big, you know, when there's been like massive, like genocide or disaster, they mm. actually went into those communities and, and did this thought field therapy with people. And they had something like an 80 or 90% success rate with people. So it's a massive, it's a hugely beneficial, it's, it's cheap, it's easy to do, anyone can do it. Well, anyone with fingers can do it. Um, and, and that's literally one of, the, one of the things that they found when they went to Rwanda was because part of the genocide was that people were having their arms chopped off um but yeah it was it was horrendous but they yeah they developed it so they did years and years and years of research on the different um the different parts of your body so for, again sort of anxiety would be more like eyes and collarbone and then say if you had um guilt or shame there's different sort of like tapping points on different parts of the body so it's just mm. a different sequence of tapping that you would go through how many um parts of the body do you know then with the tapping with, with this there's 14 so 14 okay. meridian points again with acupuncture it's a whole that's a whole new ball and that's something completely different they've got lo- they've got many many more but 14 there's 14 t- different meridian points with the, with the tapping yeah yeah so that could be something that you incorporate within your session with the client yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that that would be almost like once once we've made the change and once we've done whatever it needs to be. Um, so so that to me, like thought field therapy, it's it's a great tool. Um, you know, if somebody comes in with with you know severe anxiety, I'm not just going to do a bit of tapping with them. That you know that it does help, but it's not that's not gone. That's not the sort of the panacea that will that will completely help them. It's a tool that I would give them. You know, we've only got about five minutes left. This has been so good. Uh, <laughs> I know. But you know, if you look back from 2012, even just before that, could you imagine who you are today? Never, never in a million years. It, it was almost like um, I wanted to do it. I wanted to sort of see a change in me. You know, you, 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 I'm no different to the people you play that sort of comparison game. So I would see, um, I don't know, people doing all these amazing things and um, and I'd think, oh, you know, I'd love to do that. I'd love to help people. I'd love to help people grow and help, help, help people change. But, you know, who am I to do that? Because I'm a bloody boozer and I'm this and I'm that. And uh, so, no, in, it, and, and the very another funny story was... Um, I remember on my 30th birthday, I got, you know, sent, and this is back when people send each of the cards. I don't think people send actually greeting cards anymore. But on my 30th birthday, I kid you not, every single one of my cards from my friends, from my family, from work, every single card, birthday card, had either 
a glass of wine or a cheers or a bottle of champagne or something. So every single greeting card I had had some representation of alcohol on it. And, and again, that was one of those defining moments when I knew it, I could see it, I acknowledged it, but I didn't do anything about it because I didn't think I could change. So if I think back to then and then thinking that I would be completely sober, but not just sober, but just loving it and not missing out, that I would have my own business, that I would be helping people change in all sorts of different if you told me even five years ago I'd be a hypnotherapist, I don't even think I knew what a hypnotherapist was. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think's compelled you to continue? You know, because, I mean, even the question about contribution, like yeah. uh, something's taking you, if it's yourself or whatever, like because it's so inspiring for someone that might not um, yeah. feel great or, you know, be you know, in a, in a place that they feel stuck. And then your story is kind of testament that we can change. Yeah. And one of, one of the other things I did, and I've really got a little bit of time left, but, but one of the things that I did during this journey was really, uh, and it sounds a bit cliche, but, but find my purpose. Mm -hmm. So um, a very good friend of me introduced me to this model um, and it's a Japanese word called Ikigaya. Um, so people can Google it. It's I K. Oh God, I'm going to spell it wrong. No, Ikigai. It's it's I K I G A I. I think it is. Basically, it's um, and there's there's books around it, and it's basically um, the your reason for your purpose or your reason for being. So it talks about these four sort of circles. So the model's got four circles, and it really it just encourages you to think about. So what is it I'm good at? So there's, there's four things. What am I good at? What does the world need? What can I earn a living from? Yeah. Um, so what am I good at? What the world needs? Um, and yeah, and what do I enjoy doing? So mm. when I think back to, you know, I, I shared the story about, you know, wanting to remind business and not really, you know, when I was working in recruitment and HR, I was good at it. Um, I could certainly earn money from doing it. Did the world need another recruitment agency? Probably not. Um, so it didn't fit. It didn't tick all those boxes. I, I enjoyed it, but not enough. Um, so it's only when I really sort of did that exercise about what is it that I really enjoy doing? Because there's parts of my job as a HR manager, which is similar because I see people get promoted and change and all the rest of it. Um, so basically, when I did that that exercise for myself, I found that my purpose in life was really to help people grow. Uh, yeah, when you know, did you um, when did you read that? So we'll find the model. Oh, I probably found the model um, probably about 2014, 2015. So it, so five years ago, yeah. yeah it was it was, def it was after it was definitely after I'd given up drinking because I you know I wouldn't even have the time to like if you can if you want. Like, yeah. Like, so yeah so I did you know during that time because I had time on my hand right I was reading all sorts of personal development books and I was reading also watching podcasts and I you know, listened to podcasts and all that kind of stuff so, Do you um, so, think so that that... Drives, to answer your question that that drives me is really my purpose in life is is to help people grow Do you know with your purpose it's quite common in coaching and there's a lot of coaches Sometimes I think, is that everyone's purpose? Could be. Could be. And, I don't... 
Look, I think when I talk about helping people grow, it's really within themselves. So my purpose isn't to help people stop drinking. My purpose isn't to help, to help people, you know, leave a corporate job. Mm. It's, it's to, and, and, and it's really sort of unlocking what that grow means to mm. people. So helping people grow to some people is literally mm. dropping smoking. Helping people grow in other people is changing their relationship with their partner or with their mother or whatever it may be. So... But as we've seen in your example, the stopping drinking is a massive, um, it's the first domino yeah, or even yeah. probably before that actually, but the book was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, or the birthday cards. Yeah. Which, yeah. And it, and it was interesting that, yeah. So even though I saw the birthday cards and I'd, you know, done all crazy stuff, you know, throughout my life about, you know, drinking and none of it was enough. None of it. Some of the stories I, I could tell about, the stuff I'd done, you would think then you'd go, all right, enough's enough. But there was never, I often thought, what would it take? Like, what would it, would it take me getting arrested? Or what, like, what would, t- what would it take? What, oh. what would it take? Because, you know, I did a lot of. It was like you're it. testing yourself. Yeah, so, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, I, I think one thing that came up was the passion, you know, how important it is to to find something that you're passionate about. Yeah. I think that's probably a not really nice note to end, you know, and and maybe from your perspective, like what's that meant to you in your life and, and how, yeah, and, and the reason, you know, why, you know, finding your passion or, or working towards finding your passion is, is quite important to you, maybe your self-worth. It is, it is completely because I think there's, there's many people out there who are, you know, in a job that they maybe enjoy, they might get paid well or, or not. And, and again, going back to that ICI model, it's, it's all, you just sort of do it because it, you're good at it, um, that you get paid well or whatever, it might be convenient. But yeah, I do. And I think a lot of people are out there where they, they want to make a change, but they don't know how or they don't know what to do. So, you know, I always say, and this is sort of going back to the, the coaching, is really about if you need to get help. Like if my car, for example, if I was driving my car and my, you know, a warning light went on in my car, that's almost like the first sign that something's wrong. So I could then choose to do nothing. So I could choose to just drive along with this you know, flashing light blinking. I could choose to do nothing. It probably would get worse. Or I could choose to say, okay, well, I'm actually going to go to a mechanic. I'm not going to go to my dentist to get my car fixed. I'm going to go to a mechanic to get the, to get this fixed. And and it may just be a quick oil change or it may be, you know, the start of something more serious. So I, I think that's what I would say to people is, is, is that, you know, if you've got this sort of, you know, like honest, like a warning light or something that's not right, I would encourage people to get help and and help comes in many different forms you don't necessarily need to go and see a hypnotherapist or a life coach but that's what life coaches are there for you know um it could just be like i did read a book listen to a podcast talk about it because i think you know i know it sounds a bit a bit cliche but the first step to change is awareness you know any any we, we can't change what we're not aware of so I think, yeah, that's what I would sort of summarise it being is, is that, yeah, awareness leads to change. Mm. Thank you so much, Liz. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thank you.